gospel for the reading of the gospel from Luke chapter 6 verses 27 through 38. Luke chapter 6 verses 27 through 38. Listen now for the word of God. But I say to you that listen, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who abuse you. If anyone strikes you on the cheek, offer the other also. And from anyone who takes away your coat, do not withhold even your shirt. Give to everyone who begs from you, and if anyone takes away your goods, do not ask for them again. Do to others as you would have them do to you. If you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. If you do good to those who do good to you, what credit is that to you? For even sinners do the same. If you lend to those from whom you hope to receive, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners to receive as much again. But love your enemies, do good, and lend, expecting nothing in return. Your reward will be great, and you will be children of the Most High. For He is kind to the ungrateful and the wicked. Be merciful, just as your Father is merciful. Do not judge, and you will not be judged. Do not condemn, and you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Give, and it will be given to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be put into your lap. For the measure you give will be the measure you get back. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Please be seated. I want to begin with a prayer written by theologian Rudolf Otto. He prayed one time, We gather, O God, to proclaim your love, and your love is both comforting and challenging. We are comforted because you love us in spite of all we do wrong. We are challenged because you invite us to love others in the same way. Lord, help us to love like you. Through Jesus Christ, amen. We hear the invitation every Sunday. We heard it again today, just a few moments ago. After we have confessed our sins and heard words of forgiveness, after we have shared Christ's peace with one another, after we have sung praises to the triune God from whom this grace and forgiveness flows, we remain standing and hear this invitation. Let us now remember the standard by which God calls us to live. And we say the law together, particularly the Ten Commandments. And we say them in this order, we say them at that precise place in worship, because we want to remind ourselves that 
We say them not in order to earn God's favor, but in response to God's favor, in response to God's grace, God's forgiveness. We say them not as a protection from the wrath of God. We receive them as a gift from God. The commandments invite us to shape our lives according to the pattern of God. Lives shaped this way, we believe, will be more joyful, more just, more peace-filled, more forgiving, more whole. They will reflect God's shalom in the world. And if you remember on Communion Sundays, we hear the same invitation. Let us now remember the standard by which God calls us to live. But instead of saying the Ten Commandments, we recite what we call the summary of the law. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. And you shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. This is the standard by which God calls us to live. Love God with everything you have and love your neighbor as you love yourself. Of course, there was in Jesus' time a lot of debates about how and in what form that love should take place and about how these laws should be interpreted. There are, you may recall, 613 individual laws in the Old Testament. 613. And no one group could arrive at a consensus on which ones were primary. The summary of the law that we say on Communion Sundays was said, in fact, in Luke's Gospel in response to a question from a lawyer intended to trick Jesus asking him which commandment in the law is the greatest. If you remember, Jesus cites that summary. Love God and love your neighbor as you love yourself. And we're told the lawyer who was seeking to justify himself asked Jesus this all-important question, as important today as it was 2,000 years ago. And who is my neighbor? And do you remember how Jesus responded to that question? He responded to it with a story, a parable. One we call today the parable of the Good Samaritan. To this lawyer, trying to draw the circle of neighborliness smaller, Jesus widens it out to include the enemy, the hated Samaritan would have been confounding to any faithful Jew in the first century. It's also a question that was being asked in the first century among Jewish rabbis. Which law then is the greatest? There's a story that comes to us from the first century. A man approaches Rabbi Shammai and says, I will convert if you can teach me the whole law while I stand on one foot. Shammai declines the invitation, but Rabbi Hillel responds and says, That which is despicable to you, do not do to a fellow. That is the whole Torah, and the rest is commentary. 
go and learn it. Or as Jesus says, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Standard. The rest is commentary. Jesus is speaking, of course, here to those who are listening to him, who are following him. But I say to you that listen is how this text begins. They have already received the grace that he offers. They have witnessed his healing, his blessing, and they stand in that same place we stand in on Sunday morning, having heard from the font assurances of our forgiveness, having shared the peace, having sung praises to God who gives us this amazing grace, and now we listen, we stand. We listen for the standard, for the pattern of how we are to live, the shape of our lives. And on this day, the pattern and the shape is nothing short of radical. Jesus does not quote the Ten Commandments. Jesus does not quote the summary of the law. He commands them instead to love as God loves, to pattern their love after the love of God which appears to mean even enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who abuse you. Jesus doesn't do away with the law here. He plunges beneath the letter of the law to its spirit, which is, after all, the spirit of God who is kind to the ungrateful and the wicked, and who is merciful. Be merciful, Jesus says, just as your Father is merciful. That's quite a standard. And we have to be careful here. When we think about love in our 21st century context, we often tie love to an emotion. This is where this text can seem almost impossible. We doubt that we are, it's possible to love our enemies or those who hate us because we don't feel it. And we don't think we can make ourselves feel it. But that's a rather superficial understanding of love. Love, as it is expressed here in this text, is the word agape, which you may remember is not an emotion but an attitude and a mode of action. Jesus is calling for us to desire the well-being of the enemy, the well-being of those who hate us, not necessarily to feel warm feelings for them, but to want for them good. There are many paths one can choose, many postures one can take, Jesus talks about the sinner's path in this text. The sinner's path is to retaliate when one is wronged, to return hate with more hate, to allow abuse to pass from generation to generation in a cycle that leads to brokenness. The sinner's path is calculating, giving in order to receive something in return, stingy and close-fisted, grudging and bitter. Jesus challenges the way of the sinner by reminding them of the grace they have received. 
If you love those who love you, Jesus says, what credit is that to you? Even sinners do the same. The word translated credit in our version is actually the word charis in Greek, which literally is the word grace. It could be translated, what kind of grace is that if you just love those who love you? Jesus is laying out another ethic, a Christian ethic, another path. And we need to take it seriously. It is, after all, a standard. But we do not do ourselves or those around us any favors if we interpret these sayings as a reason to live in abusive situations to become doormats, to allow bullies and bigots to run over everyone around us. It's no expression of agape love to allow those who would demean, abuse, or spread toxic attitudes or otherwise engage in destructive behaviors to continue engaging in those behaviors without consequence. In fact can be argued that we are looking out for the well-being of such persons. We are loving them when we hold them accountable for their behaviors. It's not easy, in other words. This is not just another law. It's hard work. It's discerning work. And we will not always get it right. Loving God, loving the way God loves is can be a bumpy and confusing ride. But there's no denying Jesus' words here, his standard by which he calls us to live. We cannot and we should not dismiss them just because they are hard and complicated. You probably heard about a prominent Christian in our nation who had no problem suggesting that, quote, sometimes you have to set aside your Christian faith to get things done, end quote. Sometimes you have to set aside your Christian faith to get things done. I certainly know that temptation. And I've done it myself too many times really to name a great theologian once said, it's impossible to be sane and Christian at the same time. He then went on to a deeper confession, one that I'm afraid I share. On the whole, he writes, I've been more sane than Christian. But when you have to set Jesus aside in order to get things done, Maybe what you're doing isn't something that should be done. When we set aside that which makes Jesus confusing or inconvenient or radical, we also remove that which makes him compelling. Like this word on loving enemies. It only matters when you have an enemy. And then sometimes the word of Jesus is the only thing that can show you the way. In Wendell Berry's novel, Jaber Crow, it's the 1960s 
and Javier is a barber in the broken down town of Port William, Kentucky. Jaber struggles to get along with Troy Chatham, an acquisitive agribusinessman whom Jaber believes is destroying the land in his farming community. On top of that, Troy married Maddie, a beautiful woman whom Jaber has loved from a distance for years. That would have been hard enough, but Troy treats Maddie no better than he treats the land. One Saturday, while Troy was waiting his turn in the barber chair, the subject of the Vietnam War protesters was started, and Troy chimed in. They ought to round up every one of them cowards and put them right in front of the communists, and then whoever killed who, it would all be to the good. There was a silence in the barber shop for a moment. It was hard to do, but Jaber quit cutting hair and looked at Troy and said this, Love your enemies. Bless them that curse you. Do good to them that hate you. Troy jerked his head up and widened his eyes. Where'd you get that? And Jaber responded, Jesus Christ. And Troy said, Oh, and then the narrator lets us into Jaber's head as he says to himself, It would have been a great moment in the history of Christianity, except I didn't love Troy one bit. I've had those moments. Moments when I knew that the standard by which I am called to live is not the standard by which I am living. Moments when I am more interested in being sane or getting things done, or listening, uh, or, than listening to and following Jesus. Moments when I can even use the words of Jesus himself in a less than loving manner. That's why I'm glad that I do not follow Jesus alone. Jesus is speaking here not just to me, but to his church. Those who are gathering to listen to him who are striving to follow him. And it's the church that is called collectively to be this light, to walk in this path. And when I fall down in living that standard, I count on the church to lift me up again. David Brooks, in an extraordinary column recently, wrote the following about the situation in our own country. He said, we don't just have a sociological problem. That's his, le that's his area of expertise. We don't just have a sociological problem. We have a moral problem. We all create a shared moral ecology through the daily decisions of our lives. When we stereotype, abuse, impugn motives, and lie about each other, we've ripped the social fabric and encouraged more ugliness. When we love across boundaries, listen patiently, see deeply, and make someone feel known, we've woven that social fabric and reinforced generosity. As Charles Pagai said, the revolution is moral or not at all. 
I'm grateful every day to be part of a moral community that takes this calling from Christ seriously, this revolution seriously, who every week gathers to confess our sins, receive God's forgiveness, spread Christ's peace, sing God's praise, and then listen, listen for that radical word that leads to life, the standard by which God calls us to live. Blessed are they whose delight is in the law of the Lord. Amen.